0: Welcome to Food for Thought at Loaves and Fishes. My name is David Hot, the CEO of Loaves and Fishes, and I'm honored to spend time with you talking about things that matter in our community, specifically helping to feed the need. Hi there, everybody. My name is David Hot, the hippie with short hair, as I always say on every episode, CEO of Loaves and Fishes Family Kitchen in San Jose, California, and this is Food for Thought Of loaves and fishes. And today we're here with Monica White, a wonderful human being that I've had the pleasure to know for some time. Like, gosh, time has flown by, has it not? And Monica is the sustainability manager at Edgar and Associates. And today we're going to have a wonderful conversation about some of the activities that we both get to do in the space of food recovery, policy, discussion. Brainstorming and Monica doesn't like when I say this. However, I'm going to say it anyway. She's like one of those people that does in any group 80% of the work, <laughs> like that 80 20 rule. She's doing 80% of the work. She's the 20%, right? And you can't see me to the listening audience. I'm doing the we're not worthy bow to Monica. Um, It's been a true pleasure and honor to get to know Monica on some of the projects that we've been involved in. Today's conversation is just that. It's going to be a conversation to bring light to the space about some of the activities that she's involved in, some of the activities that we are involved in. So without further ado, Monica, hi. Hi. So can you just tell us a little bit about you and what you do?
1: Sure. Yeah. And thank you for the kind words. It's always... um... Very sweet to hear these things. And I I never feel like they're truly accurate at all. (laughs) I'm never doing enough, particularly in the space of food recovery, where there is just so, so much work to do. Um, But a little bit about me. So I've been with the company, Edgern Associates, for the past 16 years, maybe a little more. So we really focus on um, solid waste collection and all things that have to do with haulers, processors, composters. Um, we have a lobbying arm called California Compost Coalition, where we really promote the use of compost and all the great greenhouse gas uh, impacts of that, and then really representing composters, particularly now that there's such a focus on diverting organic materials from landfill. So through this space, like really from a solid waste processor standpoint, uh, I started working with food recovery really from like a grant perspective. So as some of our Clients wanted to pursue grants. We saw opportunities to help support food recovery. So that was my sort of avenue for entry. And then once I started realizing the food recovery space and seeing really the passion, the importance, kind of the, I think Will mentioned this in the last podcast that I listened to, like the obviousness of this space and why (laughs) we aren't doing more. Um, I really threw myself into it uh, to try and see how I could help, right? So from that point, um, I've been involved with uh, several grant efforts across the state, working with the CRA's technical council that we're trying to bring together individuals from local jurisdictions, from haulers, consultants, and food recovery sort of networks and nonprofits into programs that look at this from a state perspective and that can offer education opportunities for individuals who don't know what food recovery is and how their jurisdiction handles it and how to achieve 1383 compliance. And then more recently, with you and other really wonderful organizations looking to see how we can do better from a policy perspective, because really understanding that a lot of The food recovery is done by smaller nonprofit organizations that don't get the representation and support that they need to do now what is mandated work, right? So there's this this problem we have where 1383 is required a nonprofit organization to meet a law that they don't have any funding or support to do. So from a policy perspective. I think it's really important that we um, sort of highlight this in a way where we can support equity, transparency, where we can look at programs that help to reduce hunger, not only reduce waste, and see if we can get some changes within how we're viewing this from the state down.
0: Thank you, Monica. And what a wonderful explanation of just some of the things that you do to help to support the space, because those that don't know Monica... She's the person at every meeting that says, I can do that. Oh, um, my team can do that. Oh, let me help with that. So if you think I'm passionate, um, get her going. And so it's, and it's wonderful. And so to, to circle back, not everybody knows what SB 1383 is, right? And you know, there are listeners and I'm hoping that as the message gets out and my annoyance continues to happen to people, they go, who's this David Hot guy? And who are the people that he's talking to? And so SB 1383 is a law to reduce food waste in California. And and food generators have been asked to reduce food waste in two tiers, you know, with the hope that instead of that food becoming methane, which you put it in the ground, it turns the methane, which kills our mother earth. We're feeding it to people or we're using it in creative ways to help to support farmers. And, you know, we're turning it into organics. Um, so really... The law was put into place to help us to do that. However, there wasn't discussion around how to pay for it. Um, So, we're all trying to figure out how to pay for the law. So, as she mentioned, uh, you know, the policy is where we're trying to focus. So, can, anyway, I didn't mean to make that a David Hott commercial. I couldn't help myself. Um, However, I'm going to help myself now. Can you tell us a bit more about like some of the specifics that you're most recently working on to help with getting the message out? And tell us more like what, what, charged you about this space. How did you connect to this?
1: Well, I'd like to give a little bit of context on 1383, because I think sometimes Please. when we sit back and correctly criticize the regulation, we have to really understand the headspace that individuals were in when they created it. And so when the regulation was passed, of course, by you know the bodies that say this is now a law, it was sort of inserted this concept that not only are we going to help remove organics from landfill, but we're going to set a mandate that 20% of edible food will be directed to feed people. And so from that simple statement, now CalRecycle, that is a solid waste regulator, was charged with saying, how do we do this in practice, right? And so you have an agency that's responsible for the management of solid waste setting programs designed to recover food to feed people, which they don't have a lot of regulatory control. So what happened is they started, they created a program that was really um, programmatic. So we say that we have these tier one and tier two generators. Well, that was because when they identified what we consider tier one, so the first few businesses on the chopping block, There was a determination that a lot of these businesses already participate in food recovery in some way so that the lift that jurisdictions would have to feel would not be so high that it was something that was achievable. And then tier two was like, you know, this idea that this was the next set of generators that we believe have a high amount of food waste, and therefore we should be encouraging them to divert some of that material to feed people. So the challenge is you have a group of individuals who were like me that are comfortable with solid waste structure, right? Where we have a contract between a business or multiple businesses and a community that are collecting materials at a curb on a regular basis in compliance with state law. So the funding mechanism for the vast majority of 1383 is already captured within these existing structures, these existing franchise agreements and contracts and tip fees for material. And then because of the goodness of our hearts, when we entered into the food recovery model, it wasn't really thought back in that date, how this was going to fit in with solid waste structure. And so it resulted in this this dilemma that we have now, where we have a law that mandates it, but there's no mechanism to recover funding, right? Jurisdictions are not in a position where we could set a contract with, say, one food recovery agency to cover all of the city of San Jose, which is what the equivalent would have been in the salt waste sector. And with the way that the dynamics are with food recovery, because we have as you know and live and breathe multiple agencies that are working within one or more cities to do this work in many different ways there's no easy way to like pick a winner or a loser to provide funds to them right so it's that's part of the dilemma that we have to acknowledge and phrase up to the state legislators to say how do we fix this because There's no framework that we can work in right now without completely redoing the way that these networks operate. So some things that we might see in other areas, so like StockWaste has a really great example of sort of trying to organize the various nonprofit networks and then provide grant funding, right? So they have the mechanism to create the new money and then disperse the money out, um, Other cities may not have those mechanisms, right? So I help some haulers down in Central California, where you have really small populations, huge amounts of need, very few tier one and tier two generators, and your nearest nonprofit is 50 miles away in another city. So there's no way for us to create a sensible way to like fund the work. And so as I ramble on about 1383, I'll get back to your initial question.
0: So (laughs) (laughs) no, it helps. That's full on perfect context. Like, thank you, Monica. Like, keep it, keep on keeping on.
1: It's not easy. And I think that's the part that we all have to own. Right. And I think some of it too is realizing that sometimes in order to fix the thing, we have to break it a little bit and rethink (laughs) how it all works, you know? Yeah. So, um, The reason I got into it is really because I see the need, right? There's a huge need, not only from a human perspective, not only from an environmental perspective, but also the way in which we're going to fix the problem is going to take people that have the context and that kind of bird's eye view that can help connect the dots. And that's something that you're doing right now is you're helping within the Bay Area to say how, instead of doing things the way that we've always done them, right, which would a lot of nonprofits have been for a long time, they work in their city within their specific generators, we have to be able to step back and say, how do we fix the system from a larger perspective? right? How do, how do we take this opportunity, which is 1383, and do things better for the long run and not just maintain the status quo, which I think will be really hard, but beneficial in the long run.
0: Yeah. And I love that you gave background and it helps. So for some of you that may be listening, either for the first time, or maybe this is the next podcast that you gave us permission to take your time with it gives background to the challenge that we face as food recovery organizations and then those that are participating in the activity of food recovery like we all have this spirit about us we just want to be helpful and we found this cool way to do it and there's this law that we're not beating up thank you law thank you legislators for creating it the challenge is finding the funding to help to support the activity and then sharing the funding, right? So it takes a village. That's cliche, I get. I get that that's a cliche phrase. However, what I love about the activities that I get to be honored to be involved with is that we're all coming to the table to talk about creative ways to do this. And, you know, the number of hours that Monica spends doing this, these conversations are off the chart. And and I, I really appreciate that and always have and always will, you know? So you bring up, you know, some complexities that we're all really walking through. And we recently put together a group of of thought leaders to think about a creative solution. Do you want to share about that, about like some of the activities that are happening there and maybe what we're hoping to come out of that collective uh, discussion?
1: Yeah. So um, I think that as we consider the complexity, one thing that became very obvious is that um, we need more people in the room to talk about the things that are unifying all of us as we tackle this throughout the state, right? So the the concept that um, these issues are siloed, right, within either one nonprofit organization or one city, is ridiculous. All these nonprofits <laughs> are dealing with the same challenges right across the state, and. In the past, because these agencies are doing God's work, right, and surviving day-to-day through philanthropic donations, um, there hasn't been the ability to work together to, to see if we can be stronger together, right? So this concept of bringing everyone in to discuss what is important to them, how can we be more strategic in our communications, How can we start representing smaller nonprofits that are doing the vast majority of food recovery in a way that can achieve something within like state legislator or funding or whatnot. So through that, we've set up a coalition, the California food recovery coalition. Um, So it's in its infancy, but it's really exciting. And um, I see it as sort of the first step towards something that's much bigger and much broader as far as representing the needs of food recovery uh, coalitions throughout the state. And so the concept, first of all, is, you know, let's get membership together under really specific um, goals, right, around education and around policy objectives. And then let's start as a collective voice Representing ourselves at a higher level to see how we can start fixing these things that are really holding these nonprofit agencies back. And so part of the fix is hopefully going to be a mechanism or thought around how to create new money towards food recovery agencies or reallocate existing money that would be better served within these food recovery agencies. So my examples of this are as we start learning more about the social determinants of health and how important food is to individuals who have chronic health conditions, can we then work with the medical community to say, okay, as as you receive cost savings from individuals who are going to be in the emergency rooms less because their diabetes isn't flaring up because... David's organization is able to provide them more fresh produce and more dietary appropriate meals. How can we work together to help fund these programs in a collaborative way? And importantly, measure the impact of these programs as we work together. Because once we can measure the impact, then we can kind of feed upon ourselves. Um, And seeing that sometimes, you know, dollars are better spent on providing salads and chicken instead of more medication right so there's there's kind of that concept and it rolls into many other places So another one that I've been really excited about are community resilience programs. So how can we create food recovery programs that are packaging and freezing meals? So when the next fire happens or if we have a big earthquake, we have stocks of food available to feed people before federal programs can step in like FEMA. So there's concepts that are um, starting in like Southern California, which is really exciting. But again, when we talk about funding, that opens us up now to beyond food recovery into community resilience funding and, and community planning and emergency planning programs. Um, so, another one is homeless programs. So, for sure, we uh, recognize that there are a lot of individuals that do not have reliable housing and they also need food. So, can we partner together with some of these homeless funds to provide food and also wraparound services to help people um, have more stabilized homes, you know, whatever those conditions are that are creating that, whether it's a mental health issue or job issue, training, education, domestic violence, whatever those programs are, how can we partner with? food recovery. So again, we're using food as a way to help communities and measuring the impacts of that food. So, I mean, those types of things are where I see the coalition going. They're very broad horizon goals. But I think, you know, we're working with a group of individuals that are highly passionate. And I think the more that we bring membership towards that coalition, the more examples that we're going to find around the successes that I'm sure are happening across the state that we can roll out to everybody.
0: Yeah, and such wonderful points. It's, you know, the reality is food goes into your body, becomes your cells, right? We we spend so much time in, and I'm, well, yeah, I'm going to say it. Big pharma writes a prescription, right? I, I My previous life, I worked for a, a pharmacy organization and I did that for 18 years. And I used to make a joke. I sell drugs for a living. They have prescriptions. However, that's what I did, right? It's more about treating the symptom versus the actual illness, right? And so- if people potentially were able to be provided with access to more nutrient-rich ingredients, nutrient-rich meals, boy, what benefit would that provide? And how many less prescriptions could be written, right? So I'm sure that strikes a nerve in some of the people that may be listening or not, but I don't care. I'm going to say it anyway. We can address the top five chronic health conditions through the, you know, there there are doctors that have done great studies that support food as medicine practices, lifestyle medicine. You know, you have Ornish and you have Gerger and you have Hyman and you have all these wonderful doctors that have done this research because in med school, nutrition isn't discussed. So, okay, I'm going off on a tangent back to this conversation. I think the opportunity that we have related to communicating and messaging is that, you know what, we can take recovered items, recovered ingredient items, recovered prepared meals, we can turn those into repurposed meals or we can create meals with those items and then create a nutritiously packed, a solid packed meal to provide to those in need. And I love the wraparound service idea. I love the parallel programs working alongside, you know, partners that are providing the housing. The reality is the conversations need to continue and nobody has one solution and the willingness to just say, I don't know how to fix this thing. Can you help me? And I'm getting goosebumps. You can't see it, but I'm like, can I'm a middle child. So I suffer from middle child syndrome. I want harmony. I want everybody to come together, peace and love to everybody. That's just me. Right. Right. Why can't we fix this? Like together, not just loaves and fishes, all of us, right? So anyway, that was me going off on a tangent, Monica.
1: Well, and we would be remiss if we didn't highlight the importance of food and education, right? So we heard, um, yes. you know, we'll grave some great, st- well, horrifying stats, I should say, on the amount of food insecurity within children, and then also food insecurity within, you know, college or university level students. And so that's another area where you know, there are measurable impacts on a student's ability to learn in school, or even, you know, I have three young kids, and I understand the impact on food on their behavior, right? So yeah. if we can start tracking this, the impact of healthy, nutritious food, not only at school, but after school and providing those resources to their families, I would bet that we could also track behavioral components within the schools, within their ability to learn after schools, you know, reducing at-risk teens who feel like they're not going to be successful in high school and choose other um, paths in life. I mean, there there are so many opportunities within that. And then sticking with recovered food, um, I'm sure you've had these conversations where you've been working with the school and they say, well, I can't donate this because it's against USDA or, or whatever programs they are for receiving their milk and food. I mean, that's, that is a key, key reason why people need to sit in the same room and say, first of all, we need regulations that make sense. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to make sure that we, if we food, we can capture it and feed individuals. And two, that we need consistent education. So if there are pilot programs that are showing schools don't have these um, prohibitions against recovery. They need to be shared in a very transparent way across the state because it makes no sense that we're having this conversation one-on-one with every single school in the state when a standard has been set that each school can participate. So this is, you know, really This is the objectives of a coalition, of bringing people together to share information, resources, education programs, so that we can get away from trying to tackle this agency by agency or city by city and do it in a way that is more comprehensive and
0: collaborative. And ring the bell and just say, hey, everybody, did you know? Okay, you didn't know. Okay, that's fair. Now you know. So my charge to you, what are you going to do about it, right? And the call to action for me is do something about it. Talk to your family member. Talk to your uncle. Everybody is coming together this month for Thanksgiving. Everyone is going to eat more than they can possibly digest. There's going to be leftovers from that. What do you do with those leftovers? Like, so there's these ideas that we come up with at these conversations that we have that I believe, you know, it takes a spark to start a forest fire Darn it, I want to be the spark. I want us to be the spark. Just bang the drum until people come to listen. And so, you know, you're right too. Like w- there's such a wonderful group of humans that are involved in this work. And and it's not that people don't want to be helpful. They may not know how to be helpful, right? I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and says, I don't want to do anything to help people. That's no, they may just not know how. And it, mm-hmm. if we make it so complex. It frustrates people and then they give up. And human nature is if there's too much resistance, unless your name is a David Hot, like you give me resistance, I'm running towards it, right? Right. That's just my nature. Not everybody's like that.
1: No, and I think you know, we have to have um space in our minds for organizations that don't think city by city, but instead think about their west coast operations, right? So let's you know pick on. A restaurant chain um, that thinks regionally, how can we create systems that encourage that restaurant chain to have a consistent program and procedure across their West Coast to recover excess food? Right. So it's great in concept. The reality is that we are so disconnected within our networks of food recovery, we struggle to work together within a city you know, not even speaking towards working together across California, Oregon, Washington to set these programs in place and make sure if that nationwide restaurant has a policy that we as nonprofits can meet that policy and collect the food regularly, right? So it's when I said earlier, I think this is going to take us rethinking how these organizations and networks work. I mean, truly, we have to start thinking more systematically, and we do that by support. We do it through education. We do it through consistent standards, um, making sure that we're lifting up all the nonprofit agencies that want to participate in a way that sets an, a standard for safety for recovery. No one, no one wakes up thinking I'm going to rescue food today, but I'm not going to do it safely. Of course, right? Not. They're, they're but- doing God. That's work, right? Like, yeah. the, it's a it's something that they care very passionately about, but they need the resources, the tools, the education to make sure that they're doing it in a way that that nationwide restaurant chain feels great about, right? So that it's very complex, but it's very exciting. Like, and and everybody is really paying attention to the work that we're doing now to say how can we start doing this better in our hometown, which is great. That's cool.
0: And this is where I'm going to give Monica kudos, because at the beginning of this whole effort of trying to get the message out and talk about creative solutions, you know, in the last two, three years, like there have been many a conversation that has occurred and it's been just the consistency that Monica brings to the conversation. She helps to redirect us back to what is actually what we need to be talking about in a very kind way, because as you can tell, I get off on tangents. Monica's that person in the meeting that helps us get back on track. So what I what I love to hear is that we, the capital W, capital E, get the capital G E T get to do God's work. Like I love that you said that. It's very kind. I just love that because that's what I wake up and ask who I believe in to help me do every day. And so, you know, the conversations are happening. I believe that the conversations have really taken a turn and I, 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 seem to feel like we're going from advocacy to activism. At least that's how I'm feeling. Like my energy is, you know what, we've advocated long enough. Now let's bang the drum and stand out. Like recycling cans happened by grassroots efforts that just refused, refused, refused to listen to people saying it was impossible. And and I feel like that energy has now come into this space. Like, and and I'm not gonna speak on anybody else's behalf, but for me, I've gone from advocacy to activism. Like, I, I want us to really talk about solutions. We've had meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting after policy thought after meeting after meeting after app after meeting after meeting. Okay, we've done a lot of work to have another meeting. What are we gonna do? And And so- When you think about that context, and I just went off on another tangent and I apologize, Monica, what comes up for you to share about like next steps? What guide us?
1: For me, I always come back to um, we need consistent data right across the state. What are the things, again, that unite us? Well, how much food are we collecting? How much resources are we using? What is the gaps within these resources for us to accelerate? And then from that, we can get to the um, activism state where we can say to hopefully a politician that wants to hear us, here is the real data. Here are the real impacts. This is why this is so important. And I think that we have a lot of sort of broad strokes ideas, but as someone who loves data and and nerds out, I mean, for me, that's one of the best things a coalition can offer is this idea that this is not David's issue, right? This is all of our issues, that we are all feeling the same pain points and pinch points. And we need a solution that serves all of us together because the impacts are important. Right. The impacts we're talking about are going to help the safety within our communities, the medical costs that people face, the education rates that we have, like whatever those things are, we need to start to define them in real ways. In order to create that next step, which is really the activism about why this is important, why we need this within our regular food systems, like this isn't something that should be um, new and novel. This is something that should be planned for and built in to whatever programs we're pursuing. Right. So we we've we seen this in the solid waste field all the time. Like you have to plan for your recovery, right? Where your bins are going to go, how the truck is going to get into the parking lot. We should be doing the same thing for food recovery. We should be looking at restaurants and saying, okay, do you have enough space to store materials for donation? That that shouldn't be something that is novel. It should be expected within these systems because Disposing of 30 to 40% of our food that we produce is ridiculous, right? And, and we're, you know, we've been sticking within the context of 1383. We're not even touching the agriculture communities and things that we could do better within how we're producing food and recovering food in fields that does often go to waste if markets take a turn. So, I mean, that those are the things that I feel like are tangible next steps with the vision in mind. And we are working really hard to try and create these systems because it is tough to bring people together, but we're, we are working on it. We are really trying and creating the dialogue to say, okay, let's, as we do these capacity reports, which are required by law, can we create consistency in how we're measuring or asking questions so that we can bring all of this together and do something with it?
0: Right on. And I got to have an opportunity to speak to the CEO of the FarmLink project, and he shared his experience of all the activity that's occurred to address that food waste. And the amount of activity that's come to their organization since 2020 is off the charts wonderful. And Will, he's another wonderful human who's involved in the effort. You know, is it Dr. Cisneros in Southern California? Like the data that Monica talked about, There are individuals out in the ether that are trying to get that data collected in an appropriate and, you know, a way that is uh, scientifically driven and is peer-reviewed level data that we can use to support the activity and also support why the need is there. And what are the outcomes? What are the health outcomes? What does this one pound of recovered, great nutritious food add value to when it relates to health outcomes, from a mental health perspective, or a chronic health condition perspective? Like, how do we trade? How do we make it a prescription for vegetables? And there's a lot of programs, and and we'll have people on to talk about that. But why not write a script for fresh vegetables instead of a script for a specific pill, right? Right. Anyway, I'm I'm, going to get in trouble. And it
1: has to be done (laughs) collaboratively. Well, I mean, Dr. Cisneros, um, will speak very directly to it. But I was fascinated to learn from him that only 20% of our health is driven by health industry, visiting your doctor or taking your medication. So 80% of our health, our everyday health is how we live, right? Whether it's our home, it's our education, it's our family support structures, it's the food we eat, the amount of exercise we get. I mean, that's a huge number. And I mean, and any of us could understand, like if you don't have stable meals, if you don't know where your next food is coming from, how on earth are you focusing on these other determinants of health to make yourself a more healthy individual? It's impossible. He will speak gloriously to this. He's such a fascinating guy and he's doing really amazing work that again, once we can measure the impacts of, you know, this is something that shouldn't be isolated in his emergency room, that these are programs that if we can measure the benefits of, we can roll out across our health systems in California and other places Um, so that we can ensure people are getting all of the resources they need to be healthier. Because ultimately, if we have healthier individuals, we have more stability in our communities. We have the ability to have jobs and higher pay and hopefully end some of these other conditions that are really difficult in our society. <laughs> People are trying to stabilize themselves and have healthy families. So it is it is really all tied together. And I think that's, again, as we sort of think back to the coalition, we're trying to create these links and also The data that can support those linkages so that we are advocating for the important work that these nonprofits are doing and how we fit into so many different avenues of society and our stability and our education programs um, so that we can continue to do this work. I I think that's what everybody wants to do, right? Continue to recover the food, continue to feed people, but we can't do it on our own. We can't do it without recognition and support from others that stand to benefit from it. And we need the resources, right? It's, it's no longer appropriate that we should be thankful for donations. We have a job to do and it's meaningful and it matters and it helps improve our society. And we need to get these nonprofits to that point where they recognize how great they are and also have a standard of like, we need to be integrated within these systems in a more formal way.
0: Yes. Well said, Monica. And, you know, I think the one and done days, the one one year funding idea and then done, it's up to you now, David, go find more funding, right? The one and done idea has to be over. It, we need to stop the one and done. We need to start what are creative ways to continue to sustain these wonderful systems that we'll create. So, that's that's what we talk about. Like That's what keeps us up at night when we think about these wonderful ideas. You can write 16,000 grants, right? The reality is we need grants that support activities for not just one and done. We need donor partners that are willing to go along with us and, and do the work with us. And anyone who's listening, if you want to come see what we do, or if I annoy you, I can introduce you to somebody else in the Valley that would love to meet you. This isn't about just loaves and fishes. This is about food recovery organizations in the state of California and in the United States need your help. They need your help. They need your support. And there are thought leaders that are in this space that are trying to figure out ways how to get your attention and get you to change. And it doesn't mean that, you know, you may just not know, you know, we, we have a member of the coalition that is an attorney by practice and trade, and she was not aware of all of the activities that food recovery organizations do, and now she's involved. So get involved, right? So anyway, in the interest of your time, Monica, because I'm so grateful you are able to join us today, what would be the thing that really you'd like to leave the listeners with if you were to pick some... Spirit phrase, whatever. Tell us what you'd like us to do. What's the call to action?
1: So the call to action, I would think, and I, and I feel like if you talk to anybody who's involved in any kind of social justice, environmental justice, environmental work, everyone says it's really, really important to call your elected officials and tell them this is something that is important to you. Right? Those are the individuals that can make the major changes within. Um, the way our policies are written to help support food recovery organizations real way. So, and that's an avenue that, you know, I have met many politicians and they generally want to do the right thing. They don't know if something is important to a constituent unless they're being told, right? They have to hear the words, like that this is something that's meaningful to them and that we need to start looking at more seriously. In addition I work private business in 80% of my life. And if you are within a private business that has the ability to help and support food recovery or other like philanthropic um, areas that that is something you can do as a business. As a business, you can make a decision to say, I'm going to support loaves and fishes. I'm going to help support this coalition. I'm going to find my nearest food recovery organization and understand how we can do more for those organizations that are doing the work, right? So we need volunteers. We need paid drivers. We need overhead expenses covered. We need supplies all the time. We need refrigerators. There's so many things that these nonprofit agencies require to, to do this work safely um, that are often very difficult to get through grants, right? So I want to start a whole new tangent, but grants are not a great solution if you, as a nonprofit, have to fork the money out ahead of time and then wait to get reimbursed. And they also take a lot of resources to apply for and manage. So, as a business, you have so much more flexibility in how you can support a nonprofit within your community. And I think that's huge. And we need intelligent people in this space all the time. So, just trying to figure out how to help this work. I mean, it's, I'm sure within a few phone calls, you would find a way to support the network um, just by giving your time towards the effort.
0: Thank you, Monica. And that's so true. It doesn't always have to be a monetary donation, time is money as well. And involvement, you know, I jokingly talked about we're all going to have Thanksgiving this month and we're going to be sitting around the table with our family members, have a conversation and remember that some of us aren't that fortunate. Some of us don't have a table to sit around with the family and food recovery organizations and individuals that are supporting the activity of food programs are helping those that otherwise would not find that meal. So just please, my call to action is get involved. You know, I I think all of us are working very hard at trying to be helpful. We're not asking you to write a check necessarily. Well, we do take checks, but we're not asking that. We're asking you to just get involved and help us with the conversation. And so Monica, I thank you so much for coming today. And she doesn't like to think of herself as a thought leader. However, to all of you listening, is she not a thought leader? Well, the answer to me is absolutely. I just made up a word. You know, so again, Monica, I, I really appreciate your time and and all that you do to help to support this space. And I wish you a wonderful, 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 wonderful rest of your day.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me. And you have made me blush and tear up. And I
0: appreciate <laughs> <you>. <laughs> Right on. My best regards to you. And you have an excellent day. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us today on this episode. I appreciate your time and consideration with all the podcasts that are out there in the ether. I thank you for choosing this one. Remember that if you'd like to be part of the conversation, please contact me directly at david.lobesfishes.org. Together, we can accomplish many things, and I hope the conversation that you heard today will help to influence you to be part of said conversation. Take good care. And until next time, be blessed.